one. Boom! There it is, ladies and gentlemen. Another one bites the dust. The week is off to a great start, and we got another great show for you today. So here we go. Shut up and sit down. The Business Bros Podcast was created for you. Learn from the business professionals who come to share their stories. Find out what's working in business and social media, what's hot and what's not, straight from the mouths of successful entrepreneurs out there doing the real work. And now, welcome to another episode of Business Bros. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, baby. Here we go, him. Do me a favor. All right. Have some heat. Here we go. I'm like trying to do it to the beat. Ah, forget it. <laughs> All right, all you business pros out there. Before we jump into the show, just a quick reminder to please subscribe on whichever platform it is that you're listening to us on today. Give us a like, give us a follow, subscribe, drop a review, help other like-minded business owners find value from our awesome guests while we rise up in those podcast rankings. We'll sincerely appreciate every single one of you for it. And if you want to be a guest on the show, we'd love to have you on to learn from you as well. Go to www.businessbros.biz, schedule your time slot, don't forget to follow us on all our social medias at Business Bros Pod. All right, everybody, we're so excited and honored to bring yet another incredible guest to the Business Bros Pod. Our guest today wants to talk to our audience about one thing, leadership. The development of leadership is crucial to the success of any organization. For a leader, adversity is present not only during a crisis, but all throughout day-to-day operations. After more than 20 years at the highest levels of law enforcement leadership, our guest is teaching leaders everywhere the rarely discussed competencies needed by all levels of managers up to senior execs, all of whom are responsible for molding the organization's culture. Tune in today to learn how you can unmask leadership and become a more effectively developed leader to mold the future. Joining us today out of El Paso, Texas, NAACP's Humanitarian of the Year in 2017 and author of Unmasking Leadership, welcome to the show, Jesus Eddie Campos! I love it. I I love that, man. That is freaking awesome. That is awesome. Thank you for having me on the show. And everything. And hold hold on. Before before you get into all of your stuff, real quick, are Mm -hmm. those wrestling masks behind you? Yeah, yeah, actually. So, uh, a little history is uh, back in 2002 to 2010. I own the Alliance of Lucha Libre Wrestling Association, which actually started off as the Alliance of Lucha Libre El El Paso. Uh, we were an independent wrestling company, and those were some of the wrestlers that wrestled with us and some of our creations and stuff. So, yeah. Dope. That's yeah. doing all kinds of stuff then. I mean, yeah. oh. wrestling, <laughs> like leading in the community. Brother, there is nothing that I don't think we've done in our lifetime. And, you know, that's why... I'm just blessed that I've lived the life that I lived. And there's that old saying that when you get to the pearly gates, you want to leave it all behind and and make sure that you did everything and left it on empty. I I think I'm there and I'm only 48 years old and I think I'm just getting started. So we'll see how this goes. Ah, There it is. Awesome, dude. Awesome. Okay. So let's start off with like, uh, for me, you're doing so many different things, right? You've, you've, you've done from, you know, you're talking about the wrestling. We talked about law enforcement a little bit or mentioned it anyways, 
what what's that thing that's driving you what are you trying to achieve in life when you get to the pearly gates and they ask you like what were you doing why what is that well, I think I think a lot of it, honestly, first came from trying to uh, prove people wrong, and, and I think that that was a hard lesson that I learned. It took me a while to get over that fact. You know, I was born and raised here in El Paso, poor side of town, wrong side of the tracks, single parent, mother had an eighth grade education, worked in the factories, three jobs uh, every day to keep a roof over our head, raised by my grandmother, no father figure in the picture. A lot of my family members thought that I was going to be the, uh, you know, the the black sheep of the family. You know, one of my uncles once said, you know, as long as Eddie gets a good job, like working at McDonald's, the manager or something, no offense to anybody doing that because they make some pretty good money, um, there will be okay. You know, as long as he doesn't end up dead or, or, or a drug dealer. And that was kind of the motivation, you know, and, and the fact that I saw how hard my mom worked and I, I never wanted to be in her position, even though if you actually look at it, I was in her position because I always have something going on and, and I'm working just as hard and I wasn't really enjoying life, but that slowly changed as, 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 I, as I learned how to let, let that go. Dude. Okay. But there's a difference, right? And, and I, I love when people talk about this working hard thing because I work my ass off too, dude. I, there's a lot of things that I do. I mean, whether it's being on the phone, whether it's like, I mean, well now post COVID uh, driving different places. Right. But there's a lot of things that I do, but I, I actually enjoy a lot of what I do. I, I really like meeting people and, and having conversations and helping them out. I don't really consider it work, but when you're looking at it from the other side of the fence, right? When people are watching what I'm doing, all of a sudden it's like, dude, you work too much. Like, do you ever stop? Well, yeah. I don't know if I want to, right, Eddie? Exactly. You see, that's the thing. You know, I, I technically, after 27 years in law enforcement, I technically retired from that field. But even right now, I feel like I'm busier than I've ever been. And it, and it doesn't feel like work. It, it's fun. I enjoy what I do. You know, and when people say, dude, why are you sending out emails at two, three o'clock in the morning? Go to sleep. And it's like, well, I can't. It's just I'm hyper. I'm excited. I got things going on. And it, it just it keeps me going. You know, it keeps me young. So you're, you're right. What do you got going on? So let's let's narrow it down because, uh, you know, that's that's just the way the podcast works. I mean, there's a lot of things that you've done, but what are you doing today that that you want to you know put your voice behind? Yeah. So so right now, you know, we've got a book coming out July 4th. It's called Unmasking Leadership, and it's part of our of my uh, leading through adversity uh, company that leading through adversity is a leadership development group that I developed back in in 2018. Um, I had I had noticed that, you know, uh, the last 16 years of my career have been spent in leadership roles at, at executive levels in the law enforcement field. And I, I kind of related back to when I first got promoted, I remember somebody handed me a pair of keys and a clipboard and said, all right, go lead. And I said, like, well, what do I do? And they're like, yeah, you know, just do whatever your sergeant used to do. And I'm like, well, the, the reason I got promoted was because I didn't want to do what he did. Well, they do yeah. the opposite. And so it was it was a learning curve. You know, when I first got promoted to commander. I remember somebody came into my office, handed me a, a, a book about this thick. You know, it was it was a budget and said, hey, put next year's budget together. And I'm like, <laughs> school bell, right? Oh, time to go to work. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I started noticing that things were, you know, and during the last the last year, I kind of I kind of noticed that it's just like, you know what? Leadership has really kind of dwindled down and a lot of people have really don't understand that that 
a lot of people always say, you know, you got you got a leader is a servant leader. And while yes, servant leadership is very important, customer service and your employees and everybody makes up the company. A lot of leaders don't realize that the most important aspect and the most important key is the actual leader. If the leader's mindset is not in the right place, he can't lead. If the leader's mindset is not, uh, you know, zeroed in and honed in on its target, it's going to fail. And a lot of the times leaders are so busy taking care of everybody and making sure everybody else is happy that they forget about themselves. And they find themselves, they find themselves, you know, uh, feeling the pressure, their morale goes down, their fire extinguishes, they get burned out. And a lot of it had to do with, they didn't have anybody to talk to. So the leading through adversity platform, what it did is because I felt that uh, during one of my last police chief jobs is I didn't have anybody to talk to. I didn't have anybody to turn to. I had taken over a police department that was very racially divided. And my job was to change the culture. And it was it was very weird because I had to change the culture of the department, not the culture of the community, but of the department. And I came in as the first minority police chief and having to change all of that. Uh, I had nobody to talk to because nobody wanted to listen to me. You know, uh, mm -hmm. so it was really hard. So that's what Leading Through Adversity did. We created a platform for leaders, CEOs, police chiefs, future leaders, current leaders, people who are about to get promoted to learn about leadership and we can prepare them for that kind of dark side of leadership, but they don't expect is going to happen. Like losing your friends, you know, all of a sudden you get promoted. Nobody wants to talk to you unless there's something that you can do for them, you know, because, <laughs> you know, you're, you're a great leader as long as you're taking care of them, you know, hold them accountable. You're a terrible leader. So the word leadership has really gotten uh, uh, diluted because now people look at leadership as is he a good leader, not by his actions, or is he a good leader because he took care of me? And we got to get leaders back on the right track. Let's talk about that that experience. Oh, you're right. And when you're right, you're right. And you, you're always right. <laughs> That's right. God, I love this. Dude, this is a great show. By, I mean, great movie, by the way. I mean, uh, in, in the uh, the parodies to Star Wars were endless in Spaceballs. I'm just saying. Oh, yeah. We only got a couple clips, but the, but those are the best. I, I want to go back to when you were talking about becoming the police chief and you had uh, racially divided uh, uh, police officers, right? And you were changing the culture inside. And I, I'm sure that was way before uh, Black Lives Matter type stuff. That was before uh, before we had all those the, – the stuff that was going on recently in 2020. Oh, yeah. um, not, not that there's any difference between then and now other than you're going in to change a culture. Uh, and I, I wonder what your experience was like because I tend to be the type of person who says, look, it's very hard to change someone else, right? I can't make someone do something just by telling them, showing them, whatever. At some point, there does have to be some accountability where I want to make the change. Does that make sense? And I, I kind of want to know what you were going through to – as a leader to get people to see things a little bit differently, to, to change that point of view from within. Brother, you hit, you hit it right on the, on the nail. I mean, one of the hardest things that I did, you know, and I always joke about this because the community I took over was in East Texas, very racially divided. It played a very heavy role during the slavery time. Uh, slaves were sold and disciplined on their time on their city square. And, you know, they had an incident and they, they weren't going to hire another Caucasian police chief and, and they weren't never going to hire an African-American police chief because of obvious reasons. So they kind of settled for this little caramel Mexican guy and they put him in place and said, hey, go fix this culture. Right. And, and like you said, at that time, this was back in 2014, I had that mindset that I could change the world. I could fix anything. 
And so I took it on as a very big challenge. I took it on and said, hell yeah, let's, 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 let's roll with this. I can, I can change it. Uh, well, little did I know. Right. So I get there, I get there, I get there and you know, the honeymoon periods there, everybody wants to be your friend. Everybody loves you. Everybody. And a lot of people who are new to leadership don't understand that honeymoon phase. They under, they just think like, Hey, everybody likes me. They're always going to like me. Uh, yeah, sure. Until you change one policy. And then, um, so the community, uh, I got attacked by the community. You know, they were all like, oh, you're going to be the same. You're going to be, you're, you're racist. You're there. I'm like, I'm a race. I'm brown. How can I be right? I'm a minority. <laughs> What's wrong with you people? So by my actions and the things that I did, I started showing the community that this wasn't going to be things as normal. You know, this was only going to be your traditional thing. And we started implementing a lot of things. I created a program called No Colors, No Labels, which was a program designed to remove the preconceived notion the community had that the police were racially motivated. And this program was grassroots. It involved cultural awareness meals and it, it involved the uh, the cool cops ice cream truck and involved uh, um, largely uh, diversifying the way we did policing. We went to more of a Comstat predictive policing instead of over, pop, over policing the minority areas. And we brought crime down by 20% and things like that. But the officers, I mean, you got to understand these officers were homegrown. They were born in this area. Their, their mindset was set. Their culture was set. And here comes in this outsider who comes in from El Paso, Texas, to this, to this smaller, much smaller community in El Paso and starts telling them what to do. Now, he's a minority, a Mexican. He doesn't fit into the 98% uh, racial of this department. And now he's telling me what to do. And now he started this thing called no colors and no label saying that I'm racist. And I said, no, listen to what I said. Exactly. <laughs> funny story. Funny story. You play that because the the um, operations manager for the city of that that I got hired on before I signed my contract, he looks at me and he's all like, hey, welcome aboard, chief. But I just need to tell you one thing. Run. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I thought he was joking. Well, a year into the job, I was like, man, I should have listened to Jack. I should have just ran the hell out of here. But no, we did some really good things. I just couldn't change the culture of the department to change. I mean, you know, we were not a good fit. I'm not saying they were bad officers, well, at least not all of them. And, um, you know, we just we couldn't fit because they wanted to do policing a certain way. They didn't believe in 21st century. They believed in the old school John Wayne kick, kick the door, take names, you know, shoot them later, ask questions. Oh, shoot them first, ask questions later. So when we tried to change it, they came along forcefully. Um, you know, the community loved it. City management loved it. And, um, you know, we had a lot of incidents and that's what won me the the uh, humanitarian of the year award. Um, but yeah, man, it, it was, it was tough. It was, it was three of the longest, toughest years at the same time. It was the most satisfying because of how I saw a culture and a community change. And I know it can be done. I know that we can end this racial division if it wasn't for all the knuckleheads that don't want to come around and change it. You know, how do you define that though? Like, you know, everybody has their own idea of, what is supposed to be different, right? How, you know, as a leader, it's almost like, you know, there, there's there, the book Good to Great really defines uh, different types of, of leaders. And there are some that come in and rule with an iron fist, right? And rule with fear. And there are other ones who come in 
and they rule through the masses, right? Where they come in and they, they have the power of the people behind them. And there's the other ones that come in and they win the, you know, the managers who are willing to do everything they possibly can because they listen, they're opened up. Like, how do you go in and decide as a leader what the best approach is? Right. So one of the things that we teach at Leading Through Adversity is that you have to be versatile. You have to be able to adapt to every given situation. In my opinion, I do think that a good leader um, is, is a leader that can adapt to every situation. You know, I came, I always come in with a servant, uh, visionary coaching leadership style. You know, I, I go in with a vision. I, I go in as a servant to try to provide my community and the people that work for me good leadership. And then I try to coach them because a lot of the times they haven't done the things that I've experienced just because I came from a much, much larger agency. Okay. And uh, then once I usually take over. So, you know, we go in there and we, and, it, and it's systematically, okay, look, this is, this is the vision that's been set by city management. This is the vision I'm setting for the agency. And this is where we're going to go. And this is how we're going to get there with a strategic plan. And then you have those people that buy in and you have those people that don't buy in. So the people that buy in, you got to show them by your actions and coaching them to get them where you want them. The people that don't buy in, that's when the iron fist comes in. It's either it's my way or the highway or tell me what you think is going to work. They tell you what they think is going to work. And sometimes don't get me wrong. Sometimes they have some good ideas and you try to implement it. So in order to be a good leader, you have to be able to, to adapt one of the 12 or 14 or 16 or 17 leadership traits that are out there at any given time, you know, because you're going to have to use them. I mean, you know, I've seen leaders who, who are, 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 are afraid to be a dictator type of, of leader or are afraid to issue any type of discipline. And the best way to lose a good employee is by tolerating bad employees, you know, and I've seen that that happened to me in the last agency that I took over. I took over an agency that was run by, you know, a very smart man, but his, his he wanted to be grandpa to everybody. And I mean, they just ransacked him right through. So when I took over and started holding people accountable and making changes, I quickly earned the, we don't like you, <laughs> you know, and uh, those people made the decision to leave or I ended up making the decision to make them seek employment somewhere else. But the people that stuck around and saw the vision and understood, we got the, we got the organization moving forward and we did some really good things as well. When you go into an organization um, and you, you know you're you're going to take over, how much of that time do you spend going through and looking at what's going on already, talking to the staff, talking to the organization, talking to the vendors, talking to everybody involved to kind of get an idea of what the organization is about, where it's at today and where it wants to go? Yeah, absolutely. So I think I think even before I take over an organization, what I do is I do my homework. I look at all historic. I look at all the historical data that's out there. I, I uh, you know look at budgets. I look at ideas. I look at concepts and everything that, that comes out of there. Once I take over the organization, the first thing that I do is I meet one on one with every employee that I have. One on one, you know, we get thirty minutes to forty five minutes. We sit down and we talk about what they like, what they don't like, where they'd like to see us, where they want to see their career, because I, I'm also very I'm also very big on, on, on employee development and succession planning. So I meet with everyone. And then after I meet with them, I go out and I meet with every every department is affected by the police department. And we go out and we meet with them and say how we're going to work together, like roads and bridges, you know, roads and bridges and the police department got to work together. Fire and EMS, we got to work together. So always have a plan. So I spend a lot of time trying to get to know the organization and how I'm going to make it function and where it's lacking. And, you know, when you hear the same story, you know, 
15, 16, 20 times, that pretty much highlights that that is a problem and it needs to be corrected. A lot of the times, you know, um, a lot of people won't speak up to the problems because they know that their leader has already accepted or has ingrained that. So when there's a new leader in place, that's usually when change is possible. And of course, unfortunately, when new leadership takes over, it's usually the popular kids that are the ones that end up getting affected because they're no longer running the show. Mm. Yeah. So you got to deal yeah. with you got to deal with uh, with uh, dethroning the people who were artificially placed on a throne, right? Yeah, well, you what's, know. That, what's that like? Because I mean, they got a following, right? They got people inside your department. They got people inside the company or wherever that they're. That's the role, dog, right? They're gonna go. They're gonna go and follow them, or whatever. But they may not be going in the direction that you want for your the vision of of whatever the company is or organization that you're working for, right? Right, right. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I remember and I can't remember where I heard it. And, and I just always thought like, oh, my God, that's pretty harsh. It was in a movie. And I remember somebody's in the movie. It's it's a, it's the mentor talking to his mentee. And he says, when you take over an organization or when you take over the company, the first thing you do on day one is you walk into that company, into your first meeting and you fire the most popular guy, whether he's done anything wrong or not, you just fire him. And I was like, I don't think that's right. <laughs> However, in hindsight, I wish I had done that a couple of times, you know, but but I never did. So, you know, you go in and and yeah, you 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 have those people that have been given unofficial uh leadership title roles, you know. Uh, I remember before I I promoted and, and moved up into my position, I was one of those guys, you know, I was one of the more influential guys in the organization that if you wanted something done, you'd talk to me so I could work it behind the scenes and get it done. You know, so yeah, they're, they're, they have a following. They're they're there, and you usually identify those people right away on day one because you see who, who gravitates where, and you start seeing, you know, well, you know, when you have those one on ones, people start telling you, well, you know, um, um, John, you know, John, uh, John, uh, we always go to John to get things done. John's the guy. John. So when you meet with John, <laughs> you kind of sit there and go, okay, you know. This is my understanding. This is how I what, what I've heard about you. You tell me how are we going to work together? I said I, I would love to use. You know, you, you try to get them on your side, but the one thing you got to do, you got to remember that in leadership, it's your role to get the mission done. It's not your role to play favorites for anybody, and everybody has to be treated alike. And I think that's where leadership has really lost it. I think leadership is is, is really more convinced on on trying to save their job. Look, I'm the first guy to tell you that. If I believe it's right and it's the right thing to do, I'm going to do it even if it means losing the job. And, and that's it. And I think leadership has really lost that. And I think it's, it's apparent that we've seen it in our national elections and our local elections. I mean, it, it's very apparent. So we got to kind of get back to basics and the fundamentals of what leadership is. I think we all fear things like cancel culture, right? Where you say the wrong thing, you act the wrong way, you make a mistake. God forbid you make a mistake in public and yeah. all of a sudden you get the ridicule that that uh, that comes with it and all, all those questioning things. You, uh, you had a job and you were in an organization that has gotten a lot of flack in the last year where people mistrust uh, authority. They don't really care for a system and yet they want on a system what's been your impression as you've been seeing things develop over the last year like how would how would you go about changing that societal idea of what people believe the police to be 
Well, the first thing is, you know, I, I got I always say this is that 99% of law enforcement officers are great guys. And we're in this position because we want to help. We truly do. We want to help everybody out. Unfortunately, unfortunately, as the old saying goes, it's that squeaky wheel that gets the oil, right? You always have that yep. one knucklehead that goes on and makes it impossible for everybody. Now, systematically, you know, law enforcement, what, what does law enforcement need to do? Well, law enforcement kind of needs to step back and go back to its basics. You know, right now, as a law enforcement officer, you're asked to wear 600 different hats. You're a peacekeeper. You're a mental health expert. You're a drug expert. You're a priest. You're a father figure. You're a, you're, you're a mother figure. You're a counselor. You're, you're this, you're, you're, you know, and, you know, you're expected to know how to react and act in certain situations that we're not trained in, in, in dealing with, you know, and I think that, Right now, what's made it even worse is is that officers are afraid to do their job because they're afraid of getting in trouble. So that's what's causing both sides to get hurt, you know. But I think one of the things that we really need to go do go back to is is education. I, I really do feel that you know, look, I've I've been there, I've done it. I, I've been a state director. I've overseen a post agency, which means the licensing and regulatory of law enforcement officers. Look, education. Our police officers get six to nine months worth of training and then are thrown out on the field. There's some states, and one of the states that I most recently took over an organization, you could literally be working at Walmart, stocking, uh, you know, stocking the, the shelves today. Tomorrow, you're reporting to work at whatever police department. I'm pinning a badge and a gun on you, and you're going out to the streets and, and patrol for up to a year without even going to the academy first. How crazy what? is that? Yeah, and it's not that, and it's not just one state. Texas used to be like that many years ago. You could literally be a police officer for up to a year without going to an academy, okay? So how crazy is that? It's like saying, hey, I'm gonna have the heart surgeon who's never who's never gone to medical school operate on my heart and give me a transplant. No, hell no. Exactly. Oh, hell no. Exactly. Exactly. So, so I think we need to go back and, and, and we need to train our officers. I mean, teachers, teachers four years, you know, lawyers six years, Doctors, 17 to 20 years, you know, before they, they, depending on their specialty. I mean, hell, even to be a plumber, a welder, you have to have certified, you have to go, you be an electrician, you have to be, uh, you start off as a lineman, as an apprentice, as a, you know, all of these levels before you actually get where you need to get, right? And um, I think that's what we need to do with law enforcement. I'm not saying that we have to be in, a, in an academy for four years or anything like that, but I think the level of training and education that law enforcement is getting needs to increase. And also one of the other things that I think we need to do is we need to pay more attention to our mental health of our officers. You know, when our officers are involved in critical incidents, I think we need to be able to offer them um, different options and different uh, ways of, you know, as a, as, a, as a police officer, you're this big tough guy, right? Who goes out and sees this critical incident. And after it's all said and done, your sergeant comes up to you, pats you on the back and says, you all right? And you go, yeah, man, I'm good. All right, get back to work. And that's it. You know, luckily things have changed and, you know, we're starting to see a lot more uh, officers asking for help, you know, going to to critical incident training, uh, you know, psycho psychological training, uh, um, counseling after these critical incidents. So there's a lot of things that we need to change. Um, but what I want to ask people is, is, is don't lose faith in us. I mean, you know, we, we are public servants. We chose this job. Actually, the job chose us. And, and we're there to, to want to help and, and just bear with us as, as we make the fine adjustments. We recognize that 
we're 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 at fault in some areas, and we'll take the accountability for the issues that we've that we've that we've caused. But you also got to understand that when a police officer stops you for genuinely breaking the law, don't start a fight or an argument with the officer and escalate the situation out of control. You know, I mean, if 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 there is a logical legal reason for why you're being stopped or detained, do as you're told. You know. Yeah, Great thing about I, nowadays is everybody has one of these. We can record the incident. If something is there, it, it goes viral, and, and it's the end of the story. So, yeah, I think education. We need to we need to change a little bit of our training methods and 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 move forward. Yeah, I mean that personal accountability goes a long way, not only in your profession, uh, you know, as 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 a police officer or as an entrepreneur, but just in your day to day. I mean, just to change your body shape if you want to get in better health, it's going to take some accountability, some self discipline. If you want to change the outlook of your family, it's going to take some accountability. It's going to take some discipline. If you want to change the outcome of a traffic stop, uh, as the person being stopped, it's going to take some accountability it's going to take some discipline so you're telling me there's a chance exactly what i'm telling you i'm telling exactly. you there's a chance right but but again it comes down to i think it always comes back to the individual person at, at some point we need to have that accountability whether it's a police officer or or a civilian it comes down to that personal accountability you know what's right you know what you're supposed to do you know what any anything other than what you're supposed to do will have consequences sometimes more severe than others but Ultimately, for the most part, it, it's it's on us, right? We have to decide that we want to make that change. Look, if people want to work with you, Eddie, if people want to get a hold of you, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, it's, it's crawling across your screen there, jesuseddicampa.com. There, my, my phone number is on there. Uh, there's a contact us site there. You can also reach us at leadingthroughadversity.com, which, which is our leadership development program. Same thing. Contact information is on there and everything. So just reach out, and uh, we'd be more than happy to help you out in any way we can. Eddie, man, another one bites the dust. You are you episode go, 730. How did you, uh, what'd you think wow. of the experience on the show? Dude, I loved it. This was like the most funnest show I've ever been on. This is so awesome. I, I'm not not to not to disparage anybody, but man, you guys have a blast doing this, and you made it fun and interesting. Thank you. Thanks, man. That's what it's all about. You gotta have fun every day. If you're not having fun right? every day, what the hell are you doing it for? I mean, I don't know about you, but I was I was grateful. I just woke up this morning. Right? That's that's plus number one. That is already a win. Anything else after that? Cherries on top, sprinkles, whatever you want to call it. Hey, man, you know, that's what I said. You know, I, it, now that I leave, now that I live my life on my terms, kind of sort of and do what I want to do, I wake up happy just to be alive and, and have that opportunity to do what I do. Awesome, brother. All right, ladies and gents, Eddie, or sorry, JesusEddieCompa.com. Check out, uh, check out Eddie's stuff. When's your book come out? You think you said July 4th? July 4th. It's available on uh, all platforms. If you if you buy it on my website, uh, you save uh, $6. It's a hard co it's a hardcover, and I get to sign it, free shipping, and I send it off to you. Nice. All right, ladies and gents, you heard it here first, July 4th, 4th of July weekend. It's going to be a great weekend, uh, not just because Eddie's book comes out, but we, we always do the Marvel movie marathon. So uh, I, don't know if, I don't know if you're a, movie Mar a Marvel fan, but uh, Absolutely. that's – that's what we do over, uh, James and I do over over uh, 4th of July weekend. It's going to be our third year doing it. 26 movies, I think it is, James. Correct Fine. me if I'm... I'll do it myself.
Exactly. In a three-day span. I don't know how we do it, but we pull it off every time. All right, ladies and gents, we'll catch you guys next time. Make sure you guys check out uh, Eddie's stuff. I keep calling him Eddie, but his website is jesuseddiecompa.com. All right, ladies and gents, peace out, y'all. Hasta mañana. Oh, I forgot. We got we to... Gotta... Another one bites go. the dust. There we go. Peace out, y'all. Thank you for listening to the Business Bros Podcast. Are you looking to get more clients or to increase your income? Hernan, the business bro, can help you generate referrals through the power of podcasting. And James, the insurance bro with Pipeline Insurance, can help you effectively add insurance to your existing business. If you are ready to create wealth today and generational wealth for tomorrow, email businessbros at csfirst.com to schedule a free consultation or join the Business Bros Network www.businessbros.biz.